Well, this morning, uh, we have the opportunity and the luxury of having Mark Nicewander here uh, to speak and to share with us. Now, Mark has been a part of Riverstone, I don't know, for a long time, and he has just recently retired. Uh, and, and so that gives him opportunities to come to other churches. So we're excited this morning to have him with us. And uh, Mark is, uh, for us, a couple of things. One, he's been the executive director uh, of the Transmission Network, which is our church planting network for, I don't know, as long as I've been, as long as Vintage has been around. And, uh, and he's done a fantastic job. And his primary role, honestly, is coming alongside leading and guiding, but honestly being a spiritual father to all of us. If there's anything that defines who Mark is, as a man and as a pastor, is that he is just a great father, a great encourager. Mark and I would meet once a month, really, I don't golly, for the last seven or eight years. Uh, and and we just get together, and we would have conversation. And I would tell Randall, every time I would leave, I said, I just feel better about myself. I feel better about myself in relationship with Jesus. And I feel better as a pastor. And, and that's what he, that's the legacy, one of the many legacies that he's leaving. So, Mark, why don't you come this morning? And Cheryl, I'm going to pray for you. And uh, Mark is just a gift to us. In fact, part of us coming here to Vintage, honestly, is part of our stories with Mark. We, we were at this gathering of uh, those in full-time ministry, and Mark was preaching and speaking. And he shared this word that for Randall and I really was the defining moment for us to saying, yes, the Lord is calling us to come back up to Georgia and to plant Vintage. And uh and so we're here in large part because of Mark's obedience and his message. Let me pray from this morning he's going to share with us. Father, we thank you for Mark. We thank you, God, that uh, we're here today uh, partially because of, of Mark's uh, obedience to you, God, to lead and to speak life into us. And I pray this morning as he comes, where I know he's a little bit sick with a cold, so I just pray a blessing upon him. I pray for spiritual strength and clarity of mind. And I pray, God, most of all this morning that, Jesus, that, that we would see you and hear your voice, that you would challenge us, that you would open our hearts and our minds, Lord, to the things that you have for us. And I pray, God, again, this morning that you would bless Mark and fill him with just the fruit of joy as he speaks this morning. I pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Steve. Well, it's good to be with you folks. Uh, as Steve mentioned, uh, this uh, past week we were down at St. Simon's for spring break, and picked up a cold, so uh, y'all bear with me as I uh, deal with that. Um, this morning I want to do something a little different. Uh, someone once asked what was the difference between a sermon and a teaching, and uh, they said about 15 minutes, but uh, I, I won't go that much longer than a sermon, but uh, it is more of a teaching, but I think an important teaching for us to understand uh, who we are in Christ and who we will be in Christ. And um, last week, Steve uh, shared with you about the resurrection of Jesus and why we believe in the resurrection of Jesus, uh, this incredible event when Jesus was raised from the dead. But today, I want to ask um, a, a question that's just as important. I'm sure everybody here believes in Jesus' resurrection. But do you believe in your resurrection? Uh, and I think that's where I see in the church a lot of times uh, people don't understand what resurrection means for us as well. Um, I went to a liberal seminary and there were folks there who didn't believe in Jesus' resurrection. And yet, uh, and obviously that was a sad thing to be at a seminary and hear that. 
But there are many people in the church, strong believers, who don't even believe for themselves about resurrection and what God has, has promised us in, in Jesus Christ. So I want to spend a little bit of time, uh, particularly this week after Easter, to also celebrate not only Jesus' resurrection, but to celebrate our coming resurrection in Him. Um, and we're going to look at some scriptures, some of the scriptures Steve touched on last week, and uh, kind of explore that, particularly out of 1 Corinthians 15. Uh, but before we do, let me, let me kind of explain to you as briefly as I can, I wish I could give more time to this, but what I see resurrection means. Resurrection is not being resuscitated back into this life. Yeah, like when Lazarus was raised from the dead, you know, he was resuscitated back into his mortal body, but he eventually died again. Resurrection is being transformed into a new kind of life, a new kind of body. Uh, a body that will never die, never get sick. A, uh, a body that can move between heaven and earth because God's ultimate plan is to bring heaven and earth together in a new creation where we'll internally, eternally enjoy him forever in, uh, in what he's given us in terms of creation. Uh, and for that to happen, for us to enter into that kind of world, we need a new creation body an unusual kind of life uh, and, uh, and experience uh, that we can live in that world in which God intends for us. If you read the scriptures, the, the ultimate goal is toward this new creation that God will bring about, particularly when Jesus returns and begins to move all history toward the new creation. And that's where our eternity will be. Now, obviously, when we die, if we were to die before Jesus comes... We will go and be with the Lord in heaven, but we go as bodiless spirits. I think in heaven, God will give us ways to see people and interact with them and, and, uh, and see the Lord. But we will not have the full uh, gift that God wants for us as he moves us toward the new creation after Jesus returns. So I want to uh, kind of explore with you some of Paul's understanding of resurrection and why he says we should believe in resurrection. Uh, and, uh, and, and we'll take some time to, to unpack that today. First of all, I would say this. We ought to believe in resurrection, our resurrection, not just Jesus' resurrection, but our resurrection, because of the effects that the Scriptures had upon the Jews. Uh, I want to read a passage. Uh, this is that of uh, 1 Corinthians uh, 15.3. Uh, Paul says this, For what I received I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ, or that the Messiah, died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. Now remember when Paul was writing this, the New Testament did not exist. Matter of fact, 1 Corinthians, the letter that he's writing becomes a part of the New Testament, later on recognized as inspired writing. So when he says scriptures, he's talking about the Hebrew Bible, what we would call the Old Testament. And what he's saying here is that in that Bible, there are prophecies about the Messiah. And one of the prophecies concerning the Messiah is that he would be 
resurrected. He would be raised from the dead. And that is Paul's way of saying is that the witness of the Hebrew Scriptures is for resurrection. Over and over again it's mentioned that, uh, that this reality of resurrection would take place, not just in Jesus, but for all the people that follow the Lord. By the time of Jesus, the Jews had done a lot of uh, thinking and, and study of the Word and had kind of come out to, with this conclusion that there was a common belief among the Jews in resurrection. Matter of fact, it was so common, you remember when Jesus went to raise Lazarus from the dead. Now, that was, it, that was not a resurrection. It was a resuscitation back to life. And when he went there and he told Martha, he said, your brother will live again, will rise again. She was so convinced of resurrection that she said this to Jesus. I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. She didn't understand Jesus was talking about a resuscitation back to life. But, but she, she did understand that there would be a resurrection in the last day. And most Jews carried that belief. Now, among the Jews, uh, in this particular time when Jesus was ministering, uh, there were several uh, things we need to know how they viewed resurrection. First of all, Resurrection was a common belief among them, but not all Jews believed in resurrection. For example, the Sadducees didn't believe in it, and obviously the pagan world didn't believe in it. It was a concept that they, they just couldn't understand. Also, resurrection became an, an important belief among the Jews, but it was not the dominant belief of their faith during the time of Jesus. Many of them understood that resurrection would happen. Resurrection would happen to believers in God at a particular time. Third, there was very little description of what a resurrected body would look like. This new kind of life, this new kind of body that is made for God's new creation that we would enjoy for all of eternity when heaven and earth are joined together in this uh, mighty working of God. Uh, Nobody knew what it would look like, although there were some kind of vague indications of what it might look like. For example, Daniel 12, 2 and 3 says this. It's talking about when the Son of Man returns. And it says, Multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to everlasting life and others to shame and everlasting contempt. Those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the heavens. And those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. So one of the qualities they're trying to get at is that there's this glory or this shining forth in this new kind of life, this new kind of body that will come about. All Jews who believed in resurrection saw it happening as a one-time large-scale event at the end of this age when Messiah comes and he wraps up history. And therefore, then, resurrection. He will call the dead back to life, uh, those who believe and trust in God. Uh, and then, the other thing is, the Jews believed that resurrection was associated with the Messiah, as I mentioned. That when he comes, then we will be resurrected. Well, to me, one of the greatest verses of that out of the Old Testament, and it's one of our favorite verses, but I don't think we see it as a resurrection verse, but if you read it carefully... You understand what Job's saying and realize that Job is one of the earliest documents of the Old Testament. It's a very old book. And so even 
very early on, resurrection was believed in and understood. And this is what Job says in Job 19, 25, and 27. I know that my Redeemer lives. Now he's talking about the Messiah. I know that he lives. And that in the end, in other words, in the end of this age, he will stand upon the earth. He will come back and be on the earth. And after my skin has been destroyed, after I have died and decomposed, basically, my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh, in my new flesh, in my resurrected flesh, I will see God. I myself will see him with my own eyes, these new eyes that I'll be given in my resurrected state. I and not another. How my heart yearns within me, yearns within me for that day, for that day of resurrection. Now, this strange concept of being transformed into a new creation body is unique to Israel. And what I want you to understand is it comes, you don't find it in other pagan religions. And what you need to understand is that it comes through direct revelation from the Word of God. Because of the Hebrew Scriptures talking about this resurrection that will happen at the end of the age over and over again. That's why the Jews believed in it. So, we should believe in resurrection because it is the witness of the Hebrew Scriptures. But there's another reason. We should believe in resurrection because of the effects of the gospel on early believers. Resurrection was a key element in what believers were going after in their own lives, but also in their understanding of what happened to Jesus. Uh, Paul says this in, uh, in uh, 1 Corinthians 15, in verse 1, Now, brothers, I want, you, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved. Now, when Scripture means saved, yes, it means saved. We, we have been saved by Jesus. Our sins have been forgiven. We've been born again by the Spirit of God. But salvation is an even bigger concept than that. It means saved into the new creation. As a matter of fact, what we have experienced in Jesus now is but a taste of what's coming. <laughs> we have received this salvation of our souls. One day we will receive the redemption and salvation of our bodies and the redemption and salvation of all creation where God will bring it together into the new creation. And so uh, you remember Paul said this, that God has given you his spirit as a guarantee of your coming resurrection. In other words, the Spirit of God in us is a foretaste. His working in our spirit, our ability to know Jesus and relate to Him now within, is but a foretaste of the great day when Jesus will be with us and we will see Him in our resurrected bodies. So, uh, so anyway, this... This, he says, you're saved by this gospel. You are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preach to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain for what I received I pass on to you as of first importance. The gospel of Jesus Christ in the early days of the Christian movement 
produced a radical resurrection movement. Suddenly, across the earth and the ancient world, people were believing in resurrection. They were convinced of resurrection. They were convinced of Jesus' resurrection, but they were also convinced of their resurrection, that this reality would take place. And, um, and, and it made a, there was a big difference kind of in how the Christians viewed resurrection and how the Jews. You remember I said that the Jews, although they believed in resurrection, it wasn't the common belief among uh, Jews. There were Sadducees who didn't believe in it. But in the early days of Christianity, all Christians believed in resurrection, both Jews and pagans who came to Jesus. If they came to Jesus, suddenly they came because they understood that resurrection was going to happen for them. And resurrection had happened to Jesus. It was essential to a believer in Jesus. Matter of fact, Paul is writing this section of 1 Corinthians because there's a group of believers in Corinthians who say, we don't think resurrection will happen. He said, what are you talking about? Resurrection has already happened once in Jesus, and it's going to happen to us. It's the heart of what we believe. That's why he's laid it out in this long chapter, 1 Corinthians 15. Resurrection was central to Christian belief system. Among the Jews, it wasn't quite the central belief. It was the essential, it was important, but it wasn't central. But among Christians, it was absolutely, it was the epicenter, epicenter of the faith. Also, uh, resurrection was given uh, in detailed descriptions. Before, I had mentioned that the Jews had kind of a vague notion of resurrection. It was kind of looking into a fog and they had some ideas of it. But suddenly the Christians were giving detailed descriptions of what a resurrected body is like, a body of the new creation. And do you know where they got those descriptions? They got it from Jesus' resurrection appearance. Read the Gospels. Read what it says about Jesus in this new, different kind of body that he has. I mean, he moves between heaven and earth. He, he, it was not tied to the dimensions of creation, and yet it was physical. They touched him. He ate with them. He, uh, he was transformed in some level because they kept having a hard time uh, recognizing him. You know, Mary had that trouble at the tomb. Others, on the Emmaus Road, they didn't recognize him for some time. So there was a little transformation in him that kind of threw him off a bit, but... Uh, Jesus' resurrection gave them the details for what a new creation would be like. So much so that Paul says, when he returns, we will be like him. We will be like him in terms of his resurrection. Uh, resurrection event for the Jews was a one-time event at the end of the history. For Christians, it became an event split. There will be the resurrection at the end of history, but something that the Jews weren't expecting, although it was in the prophecies of their scripture, that the Messiah was resurrected in the middle of history. 2,000 years ago, Jesus was resurrected from the dead into a resurrected new creation body. And, uh, and so the Christians realized that God has given us 
a, um, Paul puts it like this, the first fruits of resurrection. (laughs) Jesus is the first fruit of resurrection that would be followed by many others who come into this resurrection experience. So, uh, so in the middle of history, a person has been raised from the dead, and he is Jesus, he is the Messiah. The resurrection of all believers, though, according to Christian understanding, will happen, as the Jews believe, at the end of the age when Messiah returns. Um, the death and the resurrection of the Messiah became the central belief for Christians. Uh, one of the reasons Jews had a hard time about Jesus being the Messiah is that he died. And Jews didn't believe in dead Messiahs. <laughs> and because they didn't believe he was raised from the dead, they didn't get what God was doing. Jesus' resurrection was a clear sign that he is the Messiah. And that he died for our sins and he was raised again. And so God was demonstrating, this is my son. This is the Messiah. This is the Savior of the world. And He is the one, the pioneer, who will lead you into the new creation if you give yourself to Him. He is the way into what I have for my people who give themselves to me. Now, what caused this radical change in the Jewish believers who put their faith in Jesus concerning the resurrection? And why did it happen so suddenly? And that brings us to this third point. You should believe in the resurrection because of the witnesses, uh, the witness of those who claim to have seen, personally witnessed, a new creation body. I don't think we understand the, uh, the magnitude of what it meant to the disciples to see the resurrected Jesus. They were looking at the prototype of what they would become. And that's why they were so excited to get the news out. We have seen resurrection. <laughs> we have seen one who has the new creation body already. And he says if we follow him, we too will enter in to that kind of existence when God brings heaven and earth together. So it was, a, it was a, an incredible, earth-shaking event to see the resurrected Jesus. And so Paul gives this list of witnesses who, uh, who witnessed him and, uh, in his resurrected appearance, in his new creation body. Uh, we'll look at that uh, list. Uh, it's 1 Corinthians 15, beginning of verse 5. He appeared to Peter. Now, when it says he appeared, it doesn't mean in a vision. He appeared to Peter in his resurrected body. He was the first one. And then to the twelve. And after that, he appeared more to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep, meaning some have died. Then he appeared to James. Then to all the apostles. And last of all, this is Paul speaking, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born or as one prematurely born, born before the due date. And, um, and we'll stop there on the list. Now, 
The first thing I want you to notice in this is that Paul, when he writes the letter of 1 Corinthians, he says, many of these people that I'm going to tell you about who have seen Jesus in his resurrected body, many of them are still living. He says this, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep, some have died. It's like he's saying, if you don't believe me, take out your cell phone and call them and ask them what they saw. Uh, I mean, this, this being a witness to a resurrection, a resurrected body, was a big deal. And, uh, and so he was saying, you know, many of these people are still alive uh, when he was writing this letter. The other thing uh, <clears throat> is this, that you'll notice in Paul's list... He doesn't have the women. Now, in the, in the gospel narratives, the women are the first one who see the resurrected Jesus. And there's a reason for this. It's not that Paul's sexist or anything, but in the first century, he was just abiding by the culture. And in the first century, the only legal witness was a male. A woman couldn't witness, but it was a male. And so here Paul is writing a list of legal witnesses in the first century. And so basically it's a list of men. But when you read the Gospels, it is not a legal, it's not a legal list of witnesses. It is an accurate historic record of history. <laughs> and the first ones to see Jesus were the women. You know, to me, I love this because it's almost like God was saying, so you think... Women can't be a legal witness. Well, I'll show up to them first and show you. You know, uh, They'll be the ones to get us into the news first. Uh, it was kind of the whole reality of the gospel, turning everything upside down. But uh, so, so Paul is presenting a, a list of legal witnesses in the world in which he is living. And that's why you don't see the women in that list. Jesus chose his new creation body to all kinds of groups. We could be talking about over a thousand people because you remember in the Gospels when it says Jesus fed 5,000 men? Well, if you included the women and the children, it would may have been 1,500 or, I mean, uh, uh, it could have been 7,000 7, instead of 5,000. Well, here are 500 brothers, if you included the sisters as well, uh, you know, and then add all the groups that are mentioned here, we could be talking to about over a thousand people that witnessed this new creation body. Um, here's the other thing in Jesus showing himself, his new creation body to all these people. He showed him his new creation body to those who thought he was crazy. It wasn't just his disciples. For example, he showed his new creation body to James. Now you remember, James is his brother. And in the Gospels, we read that James and his brothers went to get hold of Jesus because they thought he was out of his mind. He was saying stuff that people shouldn't be saying, you know, that he was God and he was the Son of Man. And so they wanted to take him back home. So basically his position on Jesus, yeah, I got a brother. He thinks he's the Messiah, you know, but he's just a little wacko out there. And, and he wasn't following Jesus. But suddenly, after the resurrection, James not only becomes a follower, he becomes 
the head of the church in Jerusalem and ultimately dies as a martyr for his brother in belief that his brother is truly the Messiah. What caused the change? (laughs) I believe he saw the resurrected brother of his. And he realized he was a different kind of brother now. Uh, I love Romans 8, 29. It says, for those God foreknew, that's us, God has foreknow- he foreknows us before the coming new creation. He's come to know us. We've come to know him. For those that God has foreknew, foreknew he also predestined. What, has, what are we predestined for? Listen to this. We are predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son in a resurrected life. That he might be the firstborn of many brothers. The firstborn, the firstborn of the resurrection for many brothers and sisters that have put their faith in him. So James is now a new kind of brother. He's a brother of the resurrection as well as the brother of Jesus. Jesus shows his resurrection body to the ones who, who even hated and despised him. Now, not many. Most of the people he appeared to were those who believed in him. But there was one person that not only did he show his resurrected body to him, but uh, he made an exception. When Jesus ascended into heaven, he was basically there to stay until he returned. He was not going to appear back on the earth in his resurrected body again until his return. But he made an exception, and that exception was the Apostle Paul. On the road to Damascus, and and Paul was clear about this. Paul said, what I saw in Damascus was not a vision. I saw Jesus. And now Paul not only sees him as the resurrected Jesus, he sees him as the resurrected, glorified Jesus. He's so brilliant now that it blinds Paul. And he speaks to Paul. And in that encounter, Paul comes, obviously, to faith in Jesus and surrenders himself fully to the Lord. And this is where Paul says that I I was like someone who was prematurely born. I think what Paul is saying here is that in Romans 9, Paul, excuse me, in Romans 11, Paul indicates that when the Messiah comes, back to, when Jesus returns back to the earth, that in that moment, the believers are resurrected, and re- Messiah returns with believers, whether they're resurrected out of heaven and come back with him, or whether they're transformed on the earth because they've survived till the return of Jesus. Uh, But when he comes, his glorious presence, he said, will bring all Israel to salvation. All Israel. (laughs) It will bring the the nation that has resisted Jesus the most, has been hardened. And all the many Jews have become believers in Jesus. But the vast majority of the nation who have the Hebrew scriptures have not believed him as Messiah. He said, when he, re- when he returns, in Romans 11, all Israel will be saved. And the reason Israel will be saved is that they'll see. They'll see the resurrected believers. They'll see the resurrected Jesus as the Messiah who has re- come to earth, as so much of their scriptures speak of. And they will believe and say, he is the Messiah. Now, 
I believe what Paul is saying about the Damascus Road experience, he said, what happened to me on the Damascus Road, that I saw the resurrected, glorified Jesus, and I was saved, will happen to all Israel when they see the resurrected, glorified Jesus return. And they will turn to him and put their faith in him. Jesus said in the gospel to the Jews, You will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And uh, in that moment of, of, of faith, when they see him, he will come to them. Now, uh, Jesus shows his resurrection body to this one who hated and despised him. And of course, Paul becomes the apostle to the Gentiles to bring them to, into this wonderful reality of the gospel and the future of, uh, uh, of an eternity with God forever. And then the list stops with Paul. There's been no more resurrection appearances since the Damascus Road. Now, there have been visions of Jesus. Matter of fact, many Muslims today are having these dreams of Jesus, and they see these visions are of him in his glorified state. But to me, that's more of a kind of an open heaven that God is providing an ability to see into, uh, into realities or, or through a particular vision who Jesus is to come to them for their salvation. But in terms of Jesus in a physicality back on the earth, uh, the angels were clear when he ascended. You will not see him again until he returns uh, in that body. I think it's also curious that the angel said that to the disciples. Well, the disciples have been dead for 2,000 years. But like Job, they will see him again in his resurrected state. Now, if we die before Jesus returned, we go to heaven to be with him. But then when Jesus returns... The good news is he's not only coming back, but we're coming back with him, and he's bringing heaven with him. So uh, in order to bring about this incredible new creation that God has promised for us as believers. Let me say to you as a, as a believer in Jesus that uh, when, when Paul mentions that about God has given us this great salvation, with the Holy Spirit within us, who gives us the ability to, to uh, know Jesus and to experience him and to love him and to engage him in our spirits, uh, that one day we will see him face to face and engage him in the earth, in his glory and his beauty and in his majesty as he reigns upon the earth. And to worship him and to love him as the manifest presence of God in the earth. But right now, as a believer in Jesus, the greatest gift you have is the Messiah in you, the hope of the coming glory. And that we can now know him and love him and engage him in our spirits in a way that one day will go to a whole new level when Jesus returns and begins to move heaven and earth together in God's great plan for, for all humanity and for all, for all creation, that we might enter into the wonder and the beauty of what God has for us. So even now, with Christ in you, 
you can begin to experience the wonder and the beauty of the new creation. That's why Paul says we are a new creation in Christ Jesus. Already we're experiencing the new creation within us through the blood of Jesus Christ and through his presence. We are a new creation people already experiencing the wonders, tasting of them, tasting of those wonders even now. I don't know if you guys like to go to Costco, but you know, you can have a whole meal at Costco <coughs> if you play it right. And the reason is they always have these samples, you know, samples everywhere. And a sample is simply something to give someone so they get a taste of the greater amount. <laughs> right now, our life in Jesus is a sampling of what's coming. You think it's great. <laughs> we haven't seen anything yet. In creation, you think it's beautiful. Sometimes I'm out in creation and say, God, this is so beautiful. And he said, you just wait to where this thing's going. Uh, because I'm, I'm going to merge it with my heaven, with my presence. And, uh, but we already are carrying within us, in Jesus, the sweet taste of that coming new creation in our coming new creation body. So, Lord, we bless you and praise you. We thank you, Lord, for resurrection. We thank you, Father, for Jesus' resurrection. We thank you, Lord, that in that resurrection you demonstrated that this is my son. In the middle of history, I will raise somebody from the dead into their new creation body as a witness to the fact that he is the pioneer to lead us into this incredible, wonderful future. And, Lord, as we come together today, we pray that you would, uh, you would give us hearts that are fully on fire for the Lord to engage him, this one who's done so much for us and will do so much more. We thank you that you are a God of more, Father, and you have so much more in store for us. So we love you, we bless you, and we thank you for the resurrection power that's in us in the presence of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. This morning as we end our time together, uh, we're going to go into a time of worship. And, uh, and as, you know, our prayer this morning is that God would awaken us, uh, yes, to the resurrection life we experience now, but that we'd be a people who, who like those who saw Jesus, it changed, it changed the path of their life. I mean, Mark named his own brother, James, who thought he was crazy. Ended up literally saying, no, I want to be the leader of this movement that my brother started. There's this path change. There's this shift that becomes, that happens when we begin to sample, but then look forward to this reality of Jesus and the reality of our own glorified bodies, our own experience of being changed fully into his likeness. So this morning as we come into worship, I'm going to invite you just to, to meditate, to focus on Jesus, to focus on the resurrection, to ponder and to think about what did it mean for those who came before us? And what does it mean for us today? And am I living, anticipating at all this true understanding of what it means to be resurrected and sampling with an expectation and living for what's coming in the future? And so Jesus, this morning, as we come into worship, I do ask Jesus that you would awaken us, Lord. 
we would take this message this morning and begin to say, how does it, how is it impacting me? What is the understanding that I have of the resurrection? How is it changing how I live, what I focus my attention on, what I look forward to? God, resurrection defined Christianity. God, may it define us, not just that it happened, but it's going to happen again in our own lives. And so, Holy Spirit, we invite you this morning to come and to awaken us, to change us, to challenge us, to excite us to the point that we would then devote our lives on a deeper level than we've ever known before. We pray this in Jesus' name. We're going to respond this morning. Obviously, we have our offering baskets for those of you who came this morning prepared and ready to give your offering and your tithes. You can do that here in that metal box in the back or the giving kiosk outside. Communion is available every Sunday just as a remembering and celebrating the gospel of Jesus. And then last, we have our our prayer teams will be available on both sides. And they just want to come in with some, just anything this morning you want prayer for. Just people to come alongside and to pray for you and to believe God alongside of you for something. Maybe it's just even for an awakening to the realness and the reality of who Jesus is this morning. And you can, they'd love to pray for you. So we're going to worship for a bit. I'll come back up here in a minute and close this out. But you respond.